Hello, welcome to a bonus episode of What Happened to Syria. Today we're joined by a very special guest, Miss Noura Ghazi. Is that how you say your name? Yes. Alright, I'm sorry, I'm always bad with names. So, what led you to become a human rights lawyer and activist in Syria? Well, uh, when I decided to be a human rights lawyer, I was too young to decide uh, uh, this. Uh, I was just 13 because my father was a political detainee uh, in the Assad father period. Um, and um, the last detention of him was his ninth detention. And he was brung to the um, super Supreme Security State Court uh, so I had a fight with the officer, and then I just decided to be a human rights lawyer in the future. Uh, this is what I did. What What happened between um, you deciding you wanted to be a lawyer at 13 and 2011? What happened in between that period? Yeah, actually, um, like two years after this decision, my father got released, and we thought that everything going to be okay, but it wasn't okay, actually, because my father was not... Uh, very well emotionally, psychologically, physically. So it was very hard time. And uh, I was 15. And then when I had to go to the university, actually, I, I wanted to be an actress, but um, I, I just remember that promise and uh, I studied law. I, I became human rights lawyer in 2004. And I used to defend uh, political prisoners and prisoners of conscience before the Supreme Security State Court. And so, um, like seven years before the uh, revolution in Syria, I was uh, like I used to to be a human rights activist, activist and defenders. When the revolution started, um, basically um, we expected that something we will start in Syria after the uprising in Tunisia and Egypt. Uh, and we planned to it, but suddenly we were surprised by the uh, demonstration in, in Dara. So I was uh, a person that uh, participated in all this, most of the demonstration in Damascus and the country of Damascus. I met my late husband during a demonstration in Duma, Eastern Ghouta, in April 2011. Um, and I also used to defend the, all the prisoners on the background of the revolution. So in early 2011, you and your friends were planning to organize protests, but you were surprised when they started popping up in other parts of the country. Yeah, exactly. What was it like in early 2011, in this period when the when the revolution started? What, what was it like to experience it in the beginning? Yeah, actually, for 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 some people, it was like something weird and new for them because they like most of Syrians are not used to a kind of protest or any kind of activism because of the dictatorship in in Syria. Uh, but for people like us, because we are familiar with this kind of activism, as my, my family, uh, like all my family, uh, is an activist. Uh, so it's like we used to protest, for example, for the war in Iraq, for the war in Palestine. So we are used to do something like this and to be followed up by the security all the time for all the activism that we, we did. Um, but when the revolution started, it was something totally different than everything we did before. It was like this public 
demonstration and this kind of like the face confront with with fears and we we had an idea about what the regime might be reacted um, toward us but for sure we didn't uh, we didn't think that this will be so extremely violation against us like although of all this um, violation and ramification of the Syrian revolution but it's needed and if that time just uh, be repeated again I will choose also to to be a participant in this revolution you mentioned um, your 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 father being put in prison what what sort of risks were protesters in 2011 facing what could happen to them both on the streets and also what could happen to them if they got arrested yeah basically one of the most important reasons for the revolution uh, is the detention in, in Syria, the arbitrary detention and the enforced disappearance. So basically our first demand was uh, the release of the uh, prisoners of conscience. And what we had is another detainees, like the people who were demanding for the release of other detainees got arrested themselves or, or got killed. And uh, it was like about this wave of arrest and arrest people during the demonstration. And uh, in a lot of cases, they arrested like families members or threatened them. Um, Beside this, like a lot of uh, killings. And then it was developing uh, by the time it was a kind of this uh, massacres and genocides uh, in in many areas in, in Syria and you know, then it was the bombing and the intervention of other countries. And like other people uh, carried weapons and uh, we had this armed group again and extremists. Um, it was like a kind of, you, you just look at this and you see that it got more complicated. There is no any horizon for any solution in, in Syria and we are losing every day now. So what was your experience defending um, political prisoners in Syria. What was that like to be an attorney working in that justice system? Yeah, actually, before the revolution, um, we are, as <clears throat> human rights lawyers, we were also followed up, and many of us got, re- uh, got detained also because we are defending uh, those prisoners. But after the revolution, it was a kind of totally different thing. Because, like, let's say the first year of the revolution, um, like, you know, they abolished the Supreme Security State Court and they were uh, referring the detainees to the civil court. And, uh, like, most of those detainees were from Daraa, actually. And, uh, like, every day in the uh, Palace of, uh, of Justice in Syria, they were bringing uh, between one uh, to two hundred detainees and I used to go uh, to them and, and, and told them that uh, okay I am Noura Ghazi I am a human rights lawyer and I'm ready to, to defend you and this puts me in a very uh, in, in very risk actually because uh, it was uh, like public thing and I was doing it uh, so I was followed up many times and most of the detainees will be uh, like 
brought to the to the court naked or shoesless. So me and uh, Basel, my late husband, used to bring shoes and uh, food to them when they got released because basically most of them were got released like in in short period, like one month or even days or weeks. Um, Beside that, I used to go to prison, uh, which is the most important thing that I I did in my entire life. I used to go to prison and and me, those uh, prisoners, most of them male. I used to go to the male uh, prison in, in Damascus. I met like hundreds of male detainees and get their testimonies uh, for preparing their the defense to them and also to deliver their testimonies to the international human rights organizations. So um, as I spent almost 22 years in my life going to this prison, so I have a lot of expertise about this and I have a kind of facilitation to go to this prison and uh, and meet prisoners, especially after my husband was was there. So I, I used to visit him twice or three times every week. So I was also meeting another prisoners, uh, which um, like enabled me to have the very good evidence and testimonies about everything uh, happened in the detention centers. Um, so I like for 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 years I was a kind of main source for all the uh, international actors and uh, the INGOs about what is happening in detention centers. What were the what were the conditions like in these prisons? What how how were these detainees treated? Okay, so the, this prison is a civil prison, so it's the central prison in Damascus, which is uh, named Adra prison. And we call this prison as the five stars prison because it's like, like I used to describe it is a kind of, uh, that transitional prison between the, uh, intelligence and uh, intelligence facilities and the life outside after release. So like prisoners um, transferred to this prison in very uh, bad situation um, because of torture and ill treatment in the secret detention or unofficial detention centers. But then they may feel a bit better because like there is no torture. It's it's better than uh, than before, but it's it's worse than other like uh, prisons in in the world because like it's very uh, busy and crowded uh, with people, and you need money to buy food or to sleep or anything uh, any, any other services. But it's better because like they can be with the, each other. They can got uh, they they can get visits from their families or their lawyers. They are uh, referred to to a court. So it's basically it's better, and it's controlled by police police, not by muhabarat. Okay, so <clears throat> so in this prison you're talking about, um, at the risk of sounding insensitive. It doesn't have as much torture going on in there as the ones operated by the Macabrat? There is no torture in this prison. Okay. Um, just about like the daily life is a bit hard because of the crowding, basically. But it's uh, it's okay for them. They, they feel much better in this prison. 
So if somebody ends up in there, what are their chances of receiving proper legal representation and or being um, acquitted of their of the charge? Depends on the court that those prisoners are referred to. So we have now two kinds of courts. Like both of them are exceptional courts. We have the counter of terrorism courts and the military field court. So if someone referred to the military field court, the military field court, basically most of the detainees who are referred to the military field court stayed in Sednaya jail, uh, the, the worst prison in the world. But many, also many other of them stayed in other prisons. But if someone is referred to the military field court, he he cannot um, uh, have a lawyer or get uh, lawyer uh, visits uh, or any kind of repre- uh, legal represented uh, represent in in this court. It's it's not allowed. It's a secret and exceptional court. So, uh, but yeah, sorry. You you go you go ahead. Sorry. Uh, but if someone is referred to the counter of terrorism court, which is uh, the court uh, established in uh, 2012, uh, he, okay, the name is uh, like, uh, get some fears for people, but it's better because like the, uh, the people who are referred to this court uh, stayed in, uh, basically in these civil prisons and uh, have uh, uh, visits from the lawyers and have legal represent and uh, like the sentences uh, have um, uh, appeal uh, and uh, and everything so it's better than it's much better actually than the other court so the people who end up in the in the one where that you're they're not given an attorney or anything those are the people who end up disappeared right yeah, the people who are not uh, referred to to any kind of courts or not transferred to to um, like official prisons, they are disappeared. And most of the Syrian detainees are considered as enforced disappeared, actually, because most of the families do not know anything about the whereabouts or the fate of their beloved ones. Would you say that political prisoners in Syria do they typically get treated better or worse than people arrested on? regular criminal charges no they are treated much worse than than other criminal wow yeah like almost most of them like lost their lives because of torture and ill treatment wow. like the political detainees and the activists are treated very worsely so if you're comfortable going into this, can you tell us a little bit about your your late husband? What what did he do before 2011, and how did he get involved in the revolution? Well, my my husband was an activist anyway. He was an activist in like a kind of digital rights and the rights of knowledge uh, for everyone. Uh, he like he lived in many other countries in Asia, in Europe. Uh, he came to Syria before the revolution and then the revolution started. So he got involved in the revolution and then he met me. We fell in love and we got engaged and he was uh, like detained two weeks before our wedding party. He was Palestinian Syrian and uh, he was um, like a very uh, well-known activist and he has a high profile. Um, so he got uh, involved in most of the, uh, the non-violent uh, activism in, in Syria before he was detained. I just have to say, I mean, you two are kind of 
legendary for having met during the revolution. How did that happen? Were y'all like in the streets? Was it, were y'all coming back from a protest? How did y'all meet? Yeah, actually, we used to go to protest um, uh, on Fridays after the the prayers, and it doesn't have any religious meaning because, like, this is the only place that people can gather uh, in uh, in the mosques. So, like, we had in the mosques like people from different uh, religious backgrounds or even atheists. Um, so, uh, I was in Duma. We were just three, uh, three ladies and we were waiting for the prayers to be, to be finished because these prayers are just for men. And then it was a lot of shooting and people got to, to, to hide. Uh, so we, we couldn't, uh, go for the protest and we were staying in a friend's house waiting for the prayers. And then Basil came to this house and basically first I heard his voice. I was in another room and he was speaking English uh, with, I don't know, with some uh, press agency and uh, telling them about what's happened in the uh, protest. Uh, and I heard him uh, say my friend's name that they are got, uh, they got arrested. So I just entered the room and I saw Basil the first time. We stayed at this uh, this house uh, for this night because we were uh, in a kind of siege, so we we were were not be able to go out, uh, and that's it. It was the first uh, meeting with him. Uh, Twenty days later, I went with uh, with some friends to Saruja, which is a place in the center of Damascus, which have which has a lot of cafes. Uh, and um, most of the activists used to stay there. So I met Basel again, and uh, we had like a lot of uh, conversation. And when he knew that I'm a human rights lawyer, he was very interested. Um, so we did something together. He was trying to record and document what is, for example, the uh, emergency law means uh, and this kind of exceptional courts. Uh, we got very close friends. Um, and, uh, we just fell in love. <laughs> to the extent you could say, what led up to your husband being arrested? How did that happen? And what happened afterward? Um... It was the first anniversary of the revolution, and I remember that Basel told me to not go out because it's dangerous outside. Uh, but he went out, uh, and we were like finalizing all the details uh, about the wedding. We were like both of us were followed up by the security and hide up. Um, so it's supposed to go uh, for a vaccine for our cat and also to get my wedding dress. Uh, and just Basel didn't come home. Wow. How did you, when, when did you find out he had been detained? Um, in Syria, um, okay, um, I, I just want to tell you a kind of funny story. Uh, it happened like, Two hours before. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, where my mom, uh, all my family is in Damascus. So my mom, uh, she stayed in bed for the last two months because she broken her two legs. And uh, I was in the meeting with with my team. So I, my family sent me a photo that 
my mom is to dog. Uh, so I I told them that uh, my mom is stood up, which is we like we have two um, like one word in Arabic, uh, something related to like uh, means stand in English, and some uh, the same word mean uh, arrest. So when I told them like mom is stand, they got like confused. Whoa. They they thought that my mom got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so when someone disappeared in something uh, like not let's say understood in Syria, we knew that he was uh, detained. Like we were having my family and his family at our apartment, and uh, there was an appointment for us to have dinner together and discuss all the details uh, of wedding. So just Marcel. Uh, didn't show up, and I knew that he is uh, detained. And uh, for many hours, like my mom started to cry, my sister started to cry, even his mom. But I just wanted to be calm for these few hours. And I told everyone that do not answer any Basel calls or message because I thought Basel is detained. I did I did this as a responsibility to avoid others to get detained or to be tricked uh, from Basel cell phone or Facebook for example and then I totally collapsed it was like a nightmare for me um, as I am a lawyer and I know everything happened in detention centers and I had this experience uh, like 20 years before with my dad so it was so terrible for me actually and uh, I during like almost nine months I didn't have specific and accurate information about him uh, so I wasn't uh, sure about uh, where he's about or his fate and then he suddenly show up in another prison what had happened to him in the span of time where you didn't hear anything um, he was in like uh, um, a cell in the uh, military facilities, and uh, he had this like torture and ill treatment, and so hectic investigation all the time, and threatened uh, to kill me or to arrest me. Um, it's, it's like it's happening to everyone basically, and. Uh, he thought of uh, committing suicide many times, but he was just dreaming uh, that he will see me again. Um, this is what happened at the end. Wow. How how many times did you visit him in prison? Um, what what was it like when y'all got married? Um, after almost 10 months, he was transferred to another prison. He called me to tell me that I'm in another prison. It was like a big shock to me. Uh, and uh, like the happiest thing to me at the same time. Uh, so I visited him um, the day after. And we arranged to get married in prison. And we did it early in 2013. Uh, then we approved the marriage contract in in the court. For sure, it, everything happened secretly, like the administration of the prison knew about our marriage uh, by TVs. <laughs> That's the way. 
uh, and then the court as well. Um, so we did everything. Everything was very good. I, I used to visit him three times every week for almost three years before he disappeared again. I don't, I don't know how else to ask this. What, what happened in October 2015? Well, before, before October 2015, like the, the administration of the prison were telling me that Basel may get released very soon, but Basel has a kind of suspect that he will be killed. And so I saw him the last time on my birthday on uh, September 30, 2015, and he, we, we had a kind of fight because he was telling me that they will kill me. And I was telling him that, no, uh, you will be released very soon. And three days after this visit, he called me to tell me that they came to take me, but I don't know whom or to where. And he disappeared. Why, why did he think they were going to kill him? I don't know. And after he disappeared, you found out that he had been executed. Yeah, I stayed for almost two years without anything about him, and then I seeked a lot to know to to know what happened to him, and then I knew that he was executed, and I announced about this in August 2017. Wow. What's the most important thing people need to know about Syria, the Syrian revolution, and the activists who participated in it? Okay, this is a good question. First of all, what, what happened in Syria is not civil war. We are so upset to, to hear people say that it's a civil war. It wasn't totally a civil war. It was a kind of, let's say, resistance by some of the Syrian people against tyranny and dictatorship. And, okay, it turned out to be an armed conflict, and it's not our fault, it's the fault of the Syrian regime, basically, some of extremists, some of the agendas of other countries. It, it's not our fault. We are victims for, for this armed conflict now. The second thing is Syria is not safe to be... Uh, like for, for us to, to return there. So what is happening now, for example, in Denmark and some other places is, is totally unaccepted. Nur is referring to the Danish government's recent decision to deport multiple Syrian refugees back to Syria. Because basically most of us run away from Syria because of the threat to be detained not because of the bombing, actually, because for us as Syrians, we prefer to be killed than be detained. And, um, like, we still need our dignity and freedom, actually. Um, we are paying this high and hard price, but uh, it's it's like a situation that I don't wish to anyone to live in. Uh, it's It's very hard... Uh, when you are apart from your uh, country, apart from your family, and you feel that, okay, all these sacrifices are for nothing, actually. It's for just losing every day. Nura Hazi, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome.